things end up where they're headed, what you want to do to get unstuck is find one way to be unstuck. You know, sometimes people, Chris, they think their life is hell. You know, right now there's a lot of people hurting. Uh, you guys are fortunate. You set your businesses up in such a way that one month wouldn't kill you. You can work remotely. Your people can work remotely. 95% of the population doesn't have that luxury. 95% of the population, when they can't go to work, don't get paid. 95% of all entrepreneurs are dangerously close to going out of business right now. You're listening to The Traffic and Funnel Show. Hey everybody, welcome. My name is Taylor Welch. Welcome back to the Traffic and Funnel Show. And I have a guest. We have a special gift for you today. It's a guy who is well-known, well-respected. He's absolutely legendary and absolutely lethal in the game of influence, impact, human psychology, human transformation. Let me just say this before we get going. Every once in a while, somebody comes along and they have this uncanny ability to shake the room even if they're not in the room it's called the gift of communication and, and really transcending beyond the words that you're saying into how you're saying them and the authority you have in your life from which the words are coming from and marshall silver is a guy who i've only begun to get to know over the last couple of weeks but he's a man of integrity he's a man who values people values family everything that you could want in uh, a mentor when it comes to how to build something that lasts with longevity. Because, you know, I'm a young buck. Uh, and if you can't tell by looking, you know, Marshall's been around a little bit longer. And he survived. He survived a it little bit more. There. And I was going to <laughs> Oh, man. Hey, welcome to the show. It's, it's our honor and it's our privilege to interview you today. Thanks for making the time. And how are you? I'm awesome. I'm, I'm always awesome. It's a choice, as you guys know. And I'm just very grateful every single day. You know, I've been following the two of you, watching what you guys have been doing in business, been massively impressed and, and just knew that one day we would be fast friends and realized that, again, you know, uh, people that are really secure in themselves never view anybody as competition. We always view things right. as a collaboration because there's more than enough prosperity for everybody. We all say, what can we do together? How can I enhance your life? How can I lift you up? So I, yes. I've been really excited. Taylor, getting to know you. Obviously, Chris, you and I just moments ago met. And again, it's everybody has different areas of expertise. And I would agree with you, Taylor. Uh, I have been blessed. I have 10 siblings. I have a mother that raised us. She passed Ooh. in 2013. She raised us pretty much on her own. Uh, it was from, you know, four different fathers and they weren't ever there. And so we grew up in a house that had no running water. We had no electricity. We had no phone. Often we had little, sometimes no food. Twice we were homeless, almost died in a Michigan winter. And, uh, you know, based upon things that I do these days, based upon what I teach as far as reprogramming your mind, using the skills of irresistible influence to get what you want, because you can sell anyone, anything at any time. It is absolutely certain you can do that. Um, my life's very different. We've been quarantined mostly for the last uh, few weeks here at the beach house. I'm sitting in, in our home theater. We seat uh, 10 people in this home theater uh, at the beach house. You can see the Moroccan sheik on the wall behind me. Uh, I, I like uh, interior design. I like style. I, I like living my life boldly. I like stimulating things, whether it's visual, whether it's, you know, uh, through scent or olfactory or kinesthetically. I think the more of our senses that we can stimulate, the more alive we feel. And the more we can stimulate other people, the more alive they'll feel. Where did that drive come from? Do you think it came from the pain and the resistance of growing up? Being broke. 
Yeah, absolutely being broke. You know, I loved my mother and I, I love my mother still, even though she's not here anymore. And she was my driving force. You know, it's interesting with 10 siblings, all having similar life experiences, all going through similar experiences, how people view things very differently from a very young age. The, the majority of our programming is done by the time we were seven years old. And from a very young age, it occurred to the young me that money cured most things. And I saw my mother cry one day because we had no food. And she was making this makeshift meal that was supposed to feed all the kids and herself. And she was she was dripping tears. She wasn't crying or sobbing. She was doing her best to hold it in, but she was dripping tears. And I vowed when I saw my mother's pain in that moment at seven years old, I said, whatever is causing her that pain, I will do whatever it takes to never see that again. And wow. so I started working full time, meaning 40 hours plus a week at 10 years old, started doing magic, professional entertaining, also at 10 years old to start generating revenue. And just it instilled in me very early on that if we're to get something, we got to go get it. Nobody's responsible. You owe me exactly what I owe you. And that's absolutely nothing. If we choose to give to each other, that's awesome. That's wonderful. But you don't owe me anything and I don't owe you anything. And so when you, when you start from that point of view of being personally responsible and you don't whine and you don't complain and you don't have an, an expectation that the government or, or your neighbor or anybody owes you anything, life just gets easier. And, you know, I really wish people would recognize that, especially right now, our country, first and foremost, then the world as a whole would be in such a better place if everybody just took personal responsibility at once. Absolutely. And... Re respected the role that pain has to play in the development of, of a human being. I think so many people, and you, you're touching on this, but so many people, when they get into painful situations, I feel like the, the tendency is to become a victim of their circumstance rather than choosing, you know, this, I'm going to become a victor, like you mentioned it earlier. Um, where does you like, where does the martial silver legend of today and the, the child who said, I'm going to take care of my mother. Take us maybe through for people who don't know, like just the becoming sure. of age story, you know? Yeah, I can go through it very quickly. As you pointed out in the intro, I'm quite old, so I won't tell the whole story. The, uh, the, <laughs> young, my young, I didn't my, mean it that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm already over it. Um, see how well that works? Clearly, clearly <laughs> you're already over it. So, you know, my young years, uh, we moved from Michigan. We ran out of money there. We couldn't make it through another Michigan winter. We didn't have the money for fuel for the heaters. And so we jumped in a station wagon. Mom drove to San Diego, where her mom lived. And her mom was not a kind person. We, we lived there for about a week before she kicked us out of her house. I, at 14 years old, was the man of the house at that age. I had three younger siblings that were living with us. And uh, two days after we landed in San Diego, I got a full-time job selling magic at a counter in a Sears store. And so I would go to school till two o'clock, run out of school, catch the bus by 210, go down to the Sears store, sell magic at the Sears store, get back on the bus at 11 o'clock. Or if I missed the bus, I would hitchhike back home. And I would never tell my mom I had to hitch hitchhike because she would have made me quit my job. But I'd hitchhike back home in the middle of the night and then go back to school the next day. And so I did that my young years. Uh, at 17 years old, I got a job as a, an announcer, a DJ at a radio station in San Diego which allowed me to develop my voice. It wasn't a rock and roll station, which would have been my preference. God was watching out for me. It was a station called FM 104K Joy. Beautiful and relaxing music to have your teeth drilled by. And because my name was too flashy for them, it was Marshall Silver, they asked me to change my name while I was on the air. And so my moniker when I was on K Joy 
was This is Marshall Gray. And the audience was all these 55-plus-year-old people. I'm, I'm, I'm 17 years old as Marshall Gray. And then later on, I said, yeah, I should write some books. Turn these ladies on. That's what I should do. So maybe you've heard of them. <laughs> so at any rate, I, I, did the, I did the DJ gig for a while. It helped me develop my voice. And then from, from 21 till 23, I realized I needed to find my life's purpose. And I went through eight jobs and eight apartments in two years. And then realized that I had been hypnotized myself at 16 years old at my high school. And I got reintroduced to it at 23 years old. And it was an epiphany. In the moment that I saw it, I said, this is who, my, this is who I am. This is my life. Because it gave me the ability to do what I love, that is to entertain, combined with the ability to change people's lives, which I knew really mattered. And here we are. What, what do you feel like is, if you could go back into when you, that moment you realized you were hypnotized, what is it that, that tipped you off to that? Like, were you just naturally self-aware? Did something happen? You know what I mean? I had hypnotized, I'd been hypnotized myself at 16 years old at my high school. And the hypnotist had given me a suggestion that when he said the words, sunny boy, I would stand up from my seat in the audience I'd walk back to the stage, I'd fall on my butt, I'd roll my pant legs up above my knees, I'd put my thumb in my own mouth, I'd climb on his lap, and I'd say to him, sing it again, daddy. Well, I was, you know, we were poor, and I was very self-conscious. I'd wear my sister's clothes to school. This happened when you were 16? 16. And so I went back to my seat in the audience, and I thought, I am not going to embarrass myself in front of the whole school. There's no way I'm going to do this. And he said the words, sonny boy, and I felt like a magnet was pulling me back to the stage. And the whole time I'm going back to the stage, I'm thinking to myself, I don't have to do this. Yet I find myself doing it anyway, on his lap, thumb in mouth, sing it again, daddy. And I went home that night and my brain was fried. And I was thinking to myself, was I actually hypnotized or was I just doing what he told me to do? And I thought about it and I thought, well, what if he had just told you to be 10 times more confident and you just did it? What if he had told me, because I was smoking pot and snorting cocaine at the time, what if he had told me to get off drugs and I just did it because he told me to do it? I realized, what if he had told me to go out and be a multimillionaire? And because he told me I could, I believed that it was certain. And I went out and took those powerful, positive, productive actions in the present moment. I realized if that was hypnosis, which it is, then that process is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. Now, semantically speaking, I, I don't even call it hypnosis anymore. I call it certainty because we've gone to another level inside of it. And hypnosis, the, the basic tenet of hypnosis one person says something, another person believes that thing to be true, and more importantly, acts upon it as if it is true. Uh, same thing, self-hypnosis. I think something to myself, I believe it to be true, I act upon it as if it is true, that is self-hypnosis. You know, at one point in my life, we were homeless. Today, I'm sitting in a $10 million home on the beach in San Diego. I've got another $10 million home, 17,000 square foot home in Las Vegas. Again, I live beyond anything I ever dreamed of as a kid. And I'm the same guy. So when I was that kid struggling for a place to sleep, you know, a home to live in, I was a millionaire whose money had not yet been deposited in my bank account. And so the moment we all have that epiphany, it's not what we need to become. It's who we are already unfolding. Everything gets easier. The desperation goes away. The anxiety goes away. Again, we don't get upset that we married the wrong person. We say, no, I had to go through that experience. You know, finding our lives less than perfect is a waste of time. It is what it is. 
And although that sounds very Zen, looking at it any differently just wastes our energy. So once mm-hmm. again, these days, uh, you know, what I, what I love doing is, is working with entrepreneurs, especially younger entrepreneurs, so they don't have to do the same things that I did, have the same mistakes, have the same burdens that we can build their companies substantially faster, have them have way more joy in their lives, way less angst. I'm glad that I waited to be a parent. Not only did I, am I glad that I found the right person and that my, I don't have any kids outside of my three kids that I have right now that I know of, actually. The thing that I love, though, is being able to have them born via this process, born via hypnosis, having them raised via hypnosis, meaning that from the time they were, before they were born, I programmed them to be geniuses. I programmed them to understand that life is easy. I programmed them to realize that money is an energy source. That's all it is. And that if you want more abundance, more prosperity, more financial wherewithal in your world, it's not magic, it's math. And when you understand the math, you know, put a dollar into a machine that kicks out five bucks, well, put the five bucks back in. Don't go for instantaneous gratification. Build up that business till it more than takes care of you and your family and your needs, and then play on the house's money. Mm. I love it. So I have two questions. Chris, I'm just going to keep asking Ask questions to you. Ask the second one first. Okay. Yes, and I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. Because there's okay. a reason when people are asking questions, they may say, I have two questions. Part of it is they want you to shut up till they've asked both. <laughs> the other thing is, is often they're leading into that second question. And so the second question is always the most important question. Okay. Well, shoot. Now I don't. Now I'm trying to prioritize them in my head. I'm trying to. No, you forgot. You forgot the first one. Ready. <laughs> there it is. As an aside, hold on. So, as an aside, and I hate to ruin the flow, but we just do everything different. Ha- have you gone into uh, gematria at all? Because when you said everything is math, I'm guessing I have not. Okay. Awesome. Second question, or the first question that I moved to the second order. Perfect. Have you ever, do you hypnotize your kids? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Please, please just give us, teach us everything right now. My, my daughter is eating dog food. It's her favorite thing. And I need to hypnotize her out of that. So No, dude. Don't, I, I hypnotized my son to like caviar, and it's one of my greatest regrets in my life. Oh, gosh. It's like a, that's, that's really why I had to go back to work. <laughs> exactly. Right. So give us, some, give us an example of, hypnotizing your kids and how you do it. And then I'm just going to take notes. Yeah. A lot of things that we do that are very strong hypnotic patterns. Uh, A child starts throwing a fit. The first question we ask is, are you hurt? Because if they're hurt, they have every, every right to wail and let it out, you know, get through that pain. So the first question we ask is, are you hurt? And if they say, no, I'm not hurt. Then, then I say, what am I going to say to you right now then? And they'll say, use your words. Great. Use your words. What do you want? And if they start telling me what they don't want, what I say is, I didn't ask you what you didn't want. I asked you Mm. what you wanted. You can never get what you want by describing what you don't want. What do you want? And and that's a really good skill set for anybody in influence. That that simple phrase, what do you want? Because that cuts through to the chase. That lets everything go. Other things we do is we are very specific in our language patterns, constantly edifying them. From the time they were born, we've reminded them they're geniuses. You know, I, I say this a lot, and somebody commented, they had watched a number of different interviews with me, and they said, you know, Marshall says the same thing again and again. Okay, I do. I tell the truth every single time. And one of the truths is the only distinction between a person 
who is a genius and someone who is a moron is they both know who they are. And because they both know who they are, they operate in that way. So a moron will look at a circumstance, a challenge they know nothing about. And because they know nothing about it and they know they're a moron, they hold that to be true. They look at the circumstance and they say, I'm a moron. How can I be expected to figure this out? Oh, yuck, yuck, yuck. And they walk away from it. A genius like yourself, you guys, uh, myself, Elon Musk, people that think at a different level, we see something and we can say, I know nothing about that. Except mm -hmm. the second thing that kicks in, it says, I'm a genius. I can figure this out. And so we stay focused on this thing until we figure it out. I also want to add, just because I acknowledge that I am a genius and acknowledge that you guys are geniuses, there is a distinction between cockiness and confidence. Confidence allows for greatness in other people. I don't have to pretend I'm a moron to make somebody else feel better about their lives. I'd rather point out that they're a genius and nobody ever pointed it out to them. Ooh, and so as so a good. That, that we, we believe, we've always uh, homeschooled. You know, be, before COVID made it hip, we've always homeschooled. And the thing that I like about homeschooling kids is they will show you what they want to learn. My, my kids, you know, even though they're nine, seven, and five, brilliant readers. We play uh, Monopoly uh, with the middle boy likes to play Monopoly all the time, seven-year-old. We make him count out the money. We make him do the math in his head. And it's the fastest way to teach people. You want to teach people not by teaching a lesson. You want to teach them by doing. And when they can learn that way and understand the purpose of actually having a skill set, they'll use it constantly. Marsha, what so would you good. say is the number one thing that keeps people stuck from where they are to who they should be? They don't have certainty. And they, you know, a fish doesn't know it's in water. If I'm a salesperson and I believe that selling, let's pick a round number, uh, $100,000 of something in a month is really good. Oh my God, I sold 100,000, six figures in one month. Then I'll think that's really good until I meet a guy that sells 10 million in a month. And when I meet that guy that says that sells 10 million in a month, I'll go, so are you putting in extra hours? And the guy says, oh God, no, less hours actually. Well, how are you doing it? I sell more expensive things. Well, okay, what else do you do? Well, I don't actually sell them. I train the people that sell those more expensive things. I get credit for it because I own the company, yet I don't have to do all the work anymore. And their brain starts to get, since reality is created by validation, the more validation we have for something, the more real that thing becomes. You know, a lot of guys and gals maybe even watching this don't realize how good a relationship can be. My beautiful bride and I, we've been together 13 years. Uh, she was 20 years old when I met her. I was 44 when we met. Uh, it was at a seminar in Boston. There were a thousand people in the room. And while I was teaching the seminar, I was simultaneously, without her or the audience knowing it, hypnotizing her to walk up to me on the break and ask me out on a date. Um, our relationship, uh, you know, like I said, the babies were born by a hypnosis. I've interacted with her hypnotically since we met. She knows that. She interacts with me and she wants to get something from me. She turns on that hypnotic charisma and charm and heartbeat gets exactly what she wants, whatever she wants it. And the thing about it is, though, it makes it so much easier. You know, we, we, we almost have never fought in 13 years, maybe one or two, because we have an expression that we use whenever we're in a, a challenge and a conflict. One will ask the other one. It's a very baseline question for relationship. Would you like to get back to love? Now, only an a-hole would say no. So yeah, I'd like to get back to love and I'm frustrated right now and I don't know how to get over this thing. I am just so unhappy right now. And uh, that baseline question though, would you like to get back to love 
is a good place to start. Yes, and I need to breathe for 30 minutes. Please let me go for a walk. Great, go for a walk. Um, then what happens is since things end up where they're headed, what you want to do to get unstuck is find one way to be unstuck. You know, sometimes people, Chris, they think their life is hell. You know, right now there's a lot of people hurting. Uh, you guys are fortunate. You set your businesses up in such a way that one month wouldn't kill you. You can work remotely. Your people can work remotely. 95% of the population doesn't have that luxury. 95% of the population, when they can't go to work, don't get paid. 95% of all entrepreneurs are dangerously close to going out of business right now. And it, it was a, it's a wake-up call to everybody to not have your businesses, have your life structured in such a way this could ever happen to you again. But the thing that I will say, is that even people that feel like they're in hell right now, and it couldn't be worse, and you know the damn government needs to open up, which, by the way, they do. Even those people, what I tell them is, find one thing in your life that is perfect. Find one thing in your life you wouldn't change at all. And sometimes in dire circumstances, people have a hard time finding any one thing. And I say, do me a favor. Take your hand. Hold it up in front of your face. Can you see your hand? If you can see your hand, you have eyes that at least partially work. Well, that's pretty perfect if you ask me. The fact mm. you're looking at your hand, if you really look at your hand and put attention on your hand and you're able to move your fingers like that, that is a miracle creation. Only a higher power could have created that. Mm. And what happens since what we focus on expands, when we start finding things in our life perfect or finding them right, we'll find more. The rich do get richer. Gratitude is the way out of hell. Mm. Did you feel the building shaking a little bit? I feel the building starting to shake a little bit. Gratitude is the ticket out of hell. There's a one-liner. We'll stack Ooh. up. Chris, you got another one? Uh, yeah, I, I can get going, bro. So Yeah, I told ahead. you. He's like a slow cooker. The roast, the roast like, is starting to sizzle. We, we put the hickory wood in there. I, I like my pot roast, baby. He's stoking that a little bit. Let's go. I love the thoughts of, of programming stuff. And I think, you know, as we have coached so many people, uh, clients, but also our team, and having to work so like so much old programming, what is the best way to, oh, we just lost Marshall's video. You still have us? There you go. Yeah, there you go. All right. So um, I, I guess just the internet and that 20,000 square foot mansion on the beach is having a tough time. <laughs> what is the, what is hey, no, the one? Actually, I think it's the power in my iPad. If, if we drop out again, I'll, I'll reach back out to you immediately on my iPhone. I think it's, I think you guys are such, are such power centrals that you're just sucking buzzing. the energy right out of my eyes. Just buzzing the buzzing. electrodes. How does someone exactly. who has that old programming reprogram themselves to be on the right track? Well, hey, Beautiful. can I can I give some clarity to that question too? Just to target it. If imagine you've got it. imagine you've got somebody with 40 years of programming and they've been programmed the wrong way. Mm. And you know, they're finding themselves, they'll do a little bit of work, but then they'll go to sleep and they'll wake up as if they never did the work in the first place. Like they tend to reset every night. How do you unwind all of that in a moment? Like you've done with so many other people. Yeah. That's the distinction between programming and certainty. It's not enough to learn. We must become someone new. Relationships are built on agreements, whether they are intimate relationships, whether they are professional relationships, whether they're friendly relationships. We think we have a good relationship with someone else when we like ourselves, when we are in their presence. So, you know, you and I will think we have a really good relationship when we feel good about ourselves, when we're near, when we're conversing, when we're interacting. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I, we have a number of agreements that, that we formed when we realized that we liked each other, that we thought we might be spending a bunch of time together. Being that I had been through more relationships than her, the first agreement I had with her is I said, look, 
I don't do drama. None. I don't interact with toxic people. I don't do drama. I don't care if I'm related to those people. I won't interact with them. And, and so that was one of the first things. I said, if you have a challenge with me, you tell me what the challenge is. If it's something that I want to change or think I can change in the moment, I'll tell you that I can or want to. If it's something that I don't want to or don't think it's really the timing is right, I'll just tell you, not now. And you'll have a choice. You can either stay or leave. That's pretty much the choice. And uh, we, we have other agreements. You know, we, we don't swear at each other. We don't use profanity with each other when we're angry. We use plenty of profanity when we're, you know, hubba hubba, except uh, not when we're not when we're in uh, And I think that's a good agreement to have because it, things escalate. We have the same agreements, you know, with my employees, uh, my team. We we don't we don't yell at each other ever. We don't raise our voices if things get heated. We say, you know what? Breathe. Take a breath. Come back to this. Let's resolve this thing because we just don't do drama. And you know, when you when you do that, when you start saying, okay, who am I? Am I an angry person attempting to be cool, or am I a cool person who got off track momentarily? There's a big distinction in that, in how you, you know, internalize all the other programs of your life. That's good, Chris. What else you got? Go ahead, T. Back I see me. the up for you for a bit. Yeah, back to me. Back in the back in the cooker for you. Uh, how how does hypnosis compare and contrast to something like? NLP or like, are they the same? Do they have, do they borrow from each other? Two guys, Grinder and Bandler, and I know you know this, so this is for the rest of the audience. Two guys named Grinder and Bandler studied a hypnotist named Milton Erickson. And Erickson and Ericksonian hypnosis wouldn't even really be considered hypnosis if, if Erickson hadn't proclaimed that he was a hypnotist. Erickson was one of those gifted people that you were describing. He just knew. He was interested in people rather than needing to be interesting two people. And so other, in other words, he wasn't in his head, he was in their lives. So Grinder and Bandler watched what Erickson did unconsciously competently, identified certain strategies that he used to affect change in other people. And because human beings like whatever is newest and you know coolest, they created a technology called neuro-linguistic programming. So to answer your question, uh, hypnosis would be the pie. Neuro-linguistic programming would be the small tool set that Milton Erickson, then interpreted by Grinder and Bandler, utilized to affect change in people. There, there's a much bigger pie, and we're seeing that pie being utilized right now. Politics, a mainstream media, that's all hypnosis. That's all that, that is. It, it's all based upon perception. So really, hypnosis is almost like a, it's not as, it's not what people think when they think like, you know, the, the little clock and everything, and like your eyes start spinning. Maybe that's a part of it, but it's, it's, it's more the interaction of like influence belief and the patterns that put a person in a certain position to believe something. Yeah, that? they're in a certain state. And that's, that's why I love certainty so much. They are in a certain state. If I am in a certain state that I know, as an example, I'm a single guy and I want to approach a woman and I've, I've been shot down so many times and knocked down so many times and ridiculed to the point where my confidence is gone. Should I approach that, that woman with that state of mind? I'm going to strike out. Should I approach her, though, as if I'm God's gift to women and I'm doing her a favor, not in a cocky way, just in a certain way, then I come across very differently. And my attraction factor, my charisma factor is much greater. Same thing if I'm working on a deal. You know, I'm, I'm seeking to cut a multi-million dollar deal. I, I approach you guys and I say, look, you're doing well. You do realize you could be doing five times this right now with less energy from you. Should we just restructure some things? 
my level of authority, my level of certainty in interacting with you, my level of validation demonstrating certain things to you that cause you to also come to that certain state will be the determining factor as to whether or not you make that shift and we do business together. And so it's the same thing. You asked this, Chris. What do you have to do to help a person so they're not ground, uh, you know, groundhogging every single day? They're not going back to who they were yesterday and having to start all over. What you've got to do is, number one, show them reality. Give them validation. You guys are classic examples. That's why I love what you do so much. I love who you are so much. That you guys are classic examples of the validation of what people can do without killing themselves. Just by having some fun, by being real, by putting things in a proper order, by focusing on what matters rather than the busy work that most entrepreneurs stay stuck in all day long. The other piece to that, though, is once you've shown them validation, you have to blow up every single one of their excuses. Oh, I was born poor. So was I. Oh, my father hated me. My father never called me a kind word one time in his life. Oh, yeah, but you know, you're slick. I wasn't slick when I started. I had to, I had to put out crap and then put out crap 2.0. It's the only way anybody can do that. It worked for Microsoft. It'll work for you. And you know, when people start having all those old programs busted up, and their new reality is, you know what? You're right. I can have sex three times a day with my wife if that's what I want and that's what she wants. I can't have a billion dollars in my life right now. I need to begin with the end in mind, do the math backwards. I can't have kids that are respectful, that are kind, that are intelligent, that are funny, that are you know just amazing human beings because it's a God-given right to all of us to have that thing. And I think that may be one of the very first things that a person that's stuck has to do is acknowledge there is a way to win this game that is different than how they're doing it, yet it works. This is so good. And I hope people, I hope people are going to listen to this multiple times because sometimes the density of what a person says, you can tell it comes from so much experience and so much time. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's so dense. Like sometimes people get onto these podcasts, it's like they're just fluffing and it's like, there's no, well, what you're saying is so dense, not in a, in a dumb way, but it's so potent. You can Thank you for clarifying that. I'm just going <laughs> to clarify real fast. You know, it's, when I was there, young, I wasn't so dense though. I got to tell you that. There's so much to extract from it. Uh, simply because you can tell you've lived this and you've walked it. I've got another question for you. I'm sure you've had people that you've gotten into coaching agreements with, and it's like almost overnight, like they just, they, they change and they adapt because you, you show them how to believe something. It's like, boom. But I'm sure you've also had people who want to change and they, they believe that it's possible, but they struggle. What is the, what's the factor of whether it takes somebody a year or a month or a week? Is it just how bad they want it? Is it how much they believe it? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And, and yet I, I've never experienced that. And there's two reasons. I won't take on a company. I won't take on any individual clients unless I know what they're made of. And so if I believe that they're not ready for me, they're not ready for my bluntness, they're not ready for the truth, then I just say, I don't think we're a good fit right now. You know, I have some other people you should talk to. You should consider this. You should get back to me after you've had a chance to read, you know, this or watch that. And so I don't really have that. The other thing is, though, I am a sneaky mofo. And I, and I am. I am covert. When you tell me what you want, I'll give you an example, and, and I'll use Milton Erickson as a good example, because this is how my brain works. My early time, um, from the time I was seven years old, I was a magician. And the reason I love magic, and I still love magic, uh, the reason I love magic is magic forces you to be massively empathetic. 
you must view the world through the other person's eyes. If you can't view it from your point of view, you have to view it from their point of view. You also have to know how to create reality. You've got to know how to create that validation, <coughs> excuse me, that sustains the reality that yes, this bag is empty. No, I don't need to show you. I just told you it was empty because you trust me, you know it's empty. And so again, that level of authority, that level of confidence, that level of certainty carries over in every other area. One of the things though that, that I'm positive about is that if, if, if I am stuck in one way, if I view the world through my eyes, not your eyes, I can never change. So Milton has a story. There was a woman, she was comatose in the hospital. The doctor said there was nothing wrong with her. She just didn't respond to anything. Her brain was functioning perfectly. Her body was functioning perfectly. Other than just you know moving slightly in the bed just to adjust, she, she wouldn't talk. She wouldn't interact with anybody. She would just lay there for hours and hours and hours on end. Eventually, they called Milton Erickson and they said, uh, you know, what do you want? What, what do you think you can do? He said, I need payment in advance. And one of the best lines I've ever heard, the value of a service rendered diminishes rapidly after that service has been rendered. Meaning if you take care of all the things, the person has no reason to pay you. So he would always have people pay him in advance. And so they pay him in advance. He goes into the, the hospital room. The woman is laying on a hospital bed with a sheet over her, wearing a, a gown, you know, one of those gowns with the back open. And he takes the sheet and he takes it off the woman. The woman just lays there, doesn't move at all. Because she's been laying there for like eight weeks, her legs are hairy. And so he takes a pair of tweezers and he goes to her ankle and plucks a hair off of her ankle. Then he goes up an inch, plucks another hair. Then he goes up another inch, plucks another hair. Well, he keeps plucking all the way up her leg till he gets right to her groin. He pulls her panties aside and goes to pluck a pubic hair. And right as he's about to do it, she slaps his hand. You get out of there, you pervert. What are you doing? He said, my job. You're welcome. Leaps. Well, now she's not comatose anymore. She's got to sit up so some pervert doesn't pluck her pubic hairs. Except the end justified the means. It did. And I think that there's people that, you know, again, don't have the ability to just view things from other angles. You guys do escape rooms? Not yet. Do you, Chris? No. No. Oh, uh, my wife and I, we've done a couple hundred and we've been doing them for years. I love escape rooms. And for those of you watching this that don't know what an escape room is or haven't done one, what it is, is they lock you in an environment and it might be one room. My, my favorite are multiple rooms that you got to unlock all the different rooms, but it's a riddle. It's a puzzle. It's a whodunit. And you've got to yeah. solve mysteries inside of the room and solve usually a storyline by the time your time is up. And it's usually either 45 mm. minutes to an hour and uh, escape from the room. Well, the great thing about it is if you go in there with different people, my wife and I, we like doing them together because our brains are very different. I'm very creative. She's very logical, which is kind of interesting. It's the reverse of what men and women usually are. But I, I view things from a very esoteric point of view, and she likes Sudoku. I look at a Sudoku puzzle, and I go, it's yours. I don't want to look at that thing. I want to find the hidden compartments. I want to find the secret passageways. I want to figure out how these things relate and react with each other. And so, you know, often I ask people, what if your life was an escape room? What if your life was a seminar? And, you know, you go to a seminar and they give you exercises that momentarily might be frustrating. Yet ultimately, when you have the breakthrough, you go, yay, I had the breakthrough. What if your life was that? That every frustration you had was simply a challenge that you just had to solve. And mm. you didn't get upset with it. You didn't get angry at the other players. You said, no, we just got to solve this thing. How do we do that? Mm. And you did it with a joyful spirit. And you did it with a grateful spirit. And you did it in the spirit of we can solve this together. You know, at my companies, we have an expression, together we got this. 
And I mean that, that, you know, there's, there's nothing that you get a group of people together that they cannot solve when number one, they're certain that it is solvable. And number two, they're certain that they have everything they need to solve it. So I say, that's where we begin is we let people know there's nothing about you that's broken. There's nothing about you that needs nor even could be fixed because there's nothing broken. Now, both of you have gorgeous heads of hair. In my early 20s, probably due to massive release of testosterone throughout my teenage and early 20 years, my hair started falling out. And my, I have four, four brothers. They all have Elvis Presley heads of hair like yours, Chris. Gorgeous, perfect heads of hair. I'm the only one whose head won't grow hair like that. Rather than get upset about it, I said, no, screw that. It's my life. I'll take charge. I'll shave the part that wants to grow. Now I'm in charge of everything. Do, do I care? Does it bother me that my head won't grow hair? Heck no, I'm over that. I'm on to other stuff. And so, you know, if you've got stuff, if you're short, if you're fat, if you're old, if you're way too, what, let it go. Mm. No more excuses. You are who you are. God doesn't create rejects or mistakes. Whoever you are is who you're supposed to be. And who you're supposed to be has the ability to win big time. And this, so isn't, good. this isn't fluff. This isn't, you know, me talking no. motivation. Talk. This is a fact. It's the truth. Well, hopefully, I mean, you can feel whether somebody is speaking truth because of the way that it is the way that it feels when it comes across it, it. Like I said at the beginning, it transcends the word you're using, the words you're using and it impacts the gut and the spirit of the person listening. But you said two things I wanted to call attention to because I think that this is one of the biggest issues. Number one, do you believe that the problem is solvable? And if you don't believe it's solvable, you're never going to go look for a solution. You're just going to stay stuck. Yep. I mean, me and Chris talk about this all the time with our team. It, if you think that this is the peak, then you're not even going to try to explore or innovate. So that's so big. That's so huge. Everybody needs to examine. Don't just take this information just to learn something. Take it with the intent of application. How do I take what he's saying and take it into you know, my, my thinking time in the morning and look at my life? What problems do I have that I, you know what, I've been guilty in the past of not really thinking that they're even solvable? Number two, do you believe that you have everything that you need right now to solve them? Oof. Yep. You, know, you, you take somebody like an Edison or a Nikolai Tesla or even an Elon Musk or Steve Jobs. They're people that, that they didn't say, can I invent this thing? They said, no, this is what we're going to invent. Let's get moving. So Edison didn't say, gosh, sure hope we can invent the electric light bulb. He said, no, let's invent an electric light bulb that burns for five seconds, then 10 seconds, then an hour, then a day, then a week, then a month, now 25 years. And, and so I think that, that so many people, you're right. Taylor, they stop shy of what they're doing because they just say, it's not doable. I can't win this game. Okay. Uh, what you've got to do though, is you've got to savor the wanting as much as the having. You've got to figure out a way to enjoy the game before you have the victory. You know, yes. when my son was born and I went into retirement, um, I, I really just wanted to spend all my time with my wife. So I stopped running. I stopped working out. I said, you know, that was a different time in my life. And my son, Max, was born, and I found that I was gaining weight. My daughter is born, and I had gained 63 pounds over my ideal size and weight. My daughter is two years old, sitting on my lap one day, and she, she taps my belly. And she says, Daddy, is there a baby in there <laughs> from the mouths of babes? And so rather than get angry, I, I realized that I'd become complacent. You know, I had everything I wanted. I had the woman of my dreams. I didn't have to be smelt and sexy anymore. I, you know, I was wearing Tommy Bahama shirts, and, and I wasn't fit. And I realized that I wanted to be fit again. I went to go run. I was too heavy to run. My, my knees and my hips were in pain, so I couldn't run. Um, 
I don't like doing things because I have to. I like doing things because I want to. I like arranging my life so the things that produce the results that I want to produce are the things that I want to do anyway. So all I'm doing is living my life. And so I have a uh, tennis court at the Palace in Vegas, at our, at our house in Vegas, and I hadn't played on it. I'd owned the house for five years and never played tennis because I didn't know how to play tennis. And a buddy of mine came over for a birthday party and he said, hey, we should play tennis. And I said, I don't know how to. He looks at the court. He looks at me. He says, you're an idiot. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'll teach you how to play tennis. I said, nah, it won't be fun for you. You'll, you'll just kick my butt every day. And he looks at me and he smiles me ear to ear. He said, no, that's exactly what will be fun for me. I'd like to kick your butt every day. <laughs> So he kicked my butt every day for two weeks. And then I went out and got one of those lobsters, those machines that shoot the tennis balls at you. And I spent two full days over the weekend returning and serving and just all day long, eight hours a day, two days straight. Came back on Monday and I beat him. And then I started beating him consistently. And then I got my wife to play, which was even better because now I'm looking at my wife and not my ugly friend. And uh, then one day we were at the beach house and we couldn't play tennis because it had rained for two weeks straight. And I asked my wife, would you, have you ever played racquetball? And she said, no, I've never played racquetball. And I said, let's go play racquetball. There's a gym around the corner. I used to belong to it. I, I know that they have a racquetball court there. Do you guys play tennis? I used uh, to. A little bit. Yeah. Have you ever played, have you ever played racquetball? No. So here's the distinction. Tennis, you're playing across a net. And I love my wife. And if you've ever seen pictures of her online, she's gorgeous, beautiful girl, just like your wives are. Gorgeous girl. When you're playing tennis, she's on the other side of the net, a long way away. And, you know, I'm looking at her face to face and she's beautiful. That's all well and good. Racquetball is different. Racquetball, when she serves, her back is actually to me. So she's serving the ball up against the wall. And wherever you hit the ball in racquetball, it comes back to you. Tennis is a lot of running after the ball. Racquetball, it comes back to you. But my wife likes to play racquetball wearing these little teeny tiny Lululemon shorts. And so it's not really even exercise. It's an hour of foreplay. And so by the time we're working out for an hour, 90 minutes, and I'm going, hey, let's work out some more. Let's work out. And then after we work out, we come home. And because we're sweaty, we have to go shower. And so mommy and daddy go shower while the kids are, you know, with the, with the nanny. And so we go shower. And my, my son asked one day, he goes, uh, daddy, you know, you and mommy, when you shower, your showers are really long. And our showers are really fast. Why are your showers so long? I said, son, your mother is really dirty. She's just a dirty girl. So it takes a long time to get her clean. Oh, <laughs> well, God, oh, I wow. forgot what we were talking about, but I love you so much. That oh, man. So awesome. Hey, can I throw a question? Marshall, you've traveled around the world. Get in line, bro. Get just, in line. I'll uh, just adjust the combo a little bit. You've traveled around the world. You've spoken on uh, countless stages, influenced so many people. And so we've talked about programming ourselves and, and just individually. Um, dude, you have programmed and influenced a lot of people at one time on stage and you sold millions and millions and millions of dollars in product. Can you walk us through, just kind of like give us a glimpse into what it takes to accomplish that to, you know, one thing that I feel like we're moving into is impact. And mm -hmm. we've got to be at a place where we can communicate well and influence a lot of people to impact a lot of people. So can you just give us your viewpoint of what it takes to do that successfully? Yeah, you know, I have traveled all over the world. I've been to China over 20 times. I've uh, spent multiple weeks there. Um, people are the same all over the world. We just want our families to be safe. We want to be fed. We want to be you know, protected, housed. We want to live a joyful life. People are, are very similar in that way. The, the way that I see the world is I view the world as a person of influence. And that, that's not a, 
that's not tooting my own horn. What I mean by that is I have the ability, you have the ability, everybody watching this has the ability to make impact. You know, someone like an Elon Musk, I don't know if you saw, he posted uh, two days ago, he said, I'm opening my factory tomorrow. I'll be on the line. All I ask is that if you arrest anybody, you arrest me first. Mm-hmm. Some people gave him grief. Some people said nasty things online because some people are just nasty human beings. Mm-hmm. What he meant was we need to get back to work. Will will there be flare-ups? Uh, will there be more COVID cases the day that we go back to work than the day we're all locked in our houses? Almost certainly. That's a given. There'll be more people interacting. Will there be more people lying about the number of COVID cases? That is an absolute guarantee because that's you know, politically how they're manipulating us right now. And that's a whole nother story that I, whole nother show that I hope to come back on and talk about that next time. The thing is though, is that, that I know when I have an audience, I know exactly what works to move the majority of that audience to take an action, whether the action is standing up from their seat, racing back to the back table, throwing down their credit card or their check or their cash, if they have two forms of ID, because I don't leave anything up to chance. So in any sales script that I would build for you guys or for your people or for a speaker or somebody that wanted to explode that portion of their lives, it's exact. It's not, gosh, let's, let's see what works. You know, the majority of speakers that get on a stage, and I've seen a lot of very well-known speakers that do this, including a Tony Robbins, including people of that caliber, they ad lib almost the whole time. They're not specific. You watch me speak. You watch me do a preview talk is a good example. 90 minutes. If you saw it today and then you saw it tomorrow and you saw it the next day, you would swear you saw the exact same words in the exact same order. It would look like it was ad-libbed. It would look off the cuff and fresh and interacting with the audience. You can be sure that I have measured every single element, including the color of the suit I happen to be wearing that day. Mm. Which, by the way, on a preview talk, currency green. So how long did it take you to develop that? Another preview talk, the color of your tie actually says a lot about what's actually going on. It's another uh, data TNA interview later. And the expression that I play every ace. So when you know, I can can swear as good as any other sailor out there. I can. I'm not opposed to it. It, it, It's not, I don't care. I won't swear on stage. You know, there are some very well-known speakers, some of the best-known speakers. One of them in particular will drop F-bombs left and right. I just don't, I I can drop them. I don't drop them because if I offend one person in the room and lose one sale, why bother? Some people say, well, you know, that person wasn't meant to be your customer. Uh, Okay. I didn't gain any customers by swearing. That's for sure. They don't, oh, he's so cool. He swears, drops F-bombs. I just don't. And it, it, I mean, there's a lot of subtleties. There's, you know, during the time of uh, internet marketing, when internet marketing first became a thing, you'd see a lot of these internet marketers get on stage and they'd be wearing, you know, flip flops and shorts and tank tops. Uh, they'd have long hair and beards. In fact, one very well-known guy looked very much like Jesus. And he wanted to enter into a, a different realm. He wanted to enter into more of a corporate realm. And I said to him, I said, you look great. You're a beautiful human being. You're, you got model good looks. But I'm telling you, if you don't cut your hair shorter, you'll never get to them. You might get to some, you won't get to all of them. And if you're losing one, you're losing one too many. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, he cut his hair and changed his style, started dressing in suits when he was interacting with those clients and is doing substantially more business. Now, that said, I'm not suggesting anybody should conform to anybody else's standards. Just know what game you're playing in the moment. It's good. It's yeah. a good word. See what you got, I, you know, I've got quarantine gruff on right now. 
I realized that a lot of people watching this probably have quarantine gruff right now. So I wanted to have a little bit of rapport with those people. So I intentionally didn't shave for the last three hours. And I mean, that's, that's how this facial hair grows, bub. And uh, testosterone. That's what it is, dude. And so again, it's a matter of gaining rapport with people. It's a matter of, of being able to be in a relationship. You know, I, I've, I've been funny. I'm funny intentionally. I like to laugh. I like hanging out with funny people. What most people don't know, though, is funny means money. And I know you guys get it. Funny means money. Since all buying decisions are based first emotionally and then backed up with logic, when we can speak directly to the emotional mind, the subconscious mind, and cause it to feel emotion and attach what we're selling, what we're offering, or even ourselves to that emotion, then what happens is the gate of the conscious critical factor opens up and we can influence that person, direct that person, persuade that person in any direction we want to. That's why, again, funny means money. Mm -hmm. My wife, when we met, I taught her that lesson. And she said, so, uh, you know, what, how, do you, how do you become funny? And I said, you tell jokes. She said, how do you learn jokes? Well, you know, she was 20, I was 44. I said, go out and get a joke book. And so being that she was 20, she didn't go out and get a joke book. She went out and got a joke app. And uh, she didn't get one joke app. She got two joke apps. She got a clean joke app. And she got a dirty joke app. And uh, if you met my wife, you'd know she's exactly like me. So she gets a dirty joke app. I could always tell which app she was reading from by how, how hard she was laughing. So one day, we're, uh, we're at a sushi bar. And we're sitting on the corner of the sushi bar. And the sushi chef speaks Japanese and broken English. And the other chef speaks only Japanese. And so we're sitting there, and she tells me a joke. She says, uh, this woman goes to a hardware store and says, uh, do you have any double D batteries? And the man at the hardware store says, yes, uh, come this way. She said, if I could come that way, I wouldn't need the batteries. So I start laughing. Then the uh, then all the Bible Belt right now is like completely leaving this. I can't watch this. Ray, you're losing I sales. I get that. <laughs> um, the, then she tells me another joke. She says, this, uh, these three older women were sitting on a bench at a park. And this old man runs up and he's got nothing but a trench coat on and he opens it up. And the first old lady has a, has a stroke. And the second old lady has a stroke. The third old lady would have had a stroke, but she was too far away to reach it. And I start bursting out laughing. And the sushi chef uh, speaks broken English. He says, what's so funny? And I said, my wife told me a very funny joke. He said, tell me joke. And I said, I think it'll be lost in translation. And he says, please tell me joke. And so I tell him the joke and he pauses. The, and the, the other chef has, has come over and he pauses for a second. Then he starts laughing. And the other one clearly asks him in Japanese, what are you laughing about? And he goes, I'm so good, I'm what? And the other guy starts laughing. And I went, humor, God, God's gift, God's gift of this. The, the transcendent language of humor. You know, and that's it. And, and one of the lessons in this, and, and Chris, this is the lesson for anybody that I might have lost. This is the lesson I want to leave everybody with. Do not take life so seriously. Mm -hmm. Realize this too, no matter what this is, shall pass. Learn to laugh more easily. Learn to be offended less. Do not give your power away anymore at all. Not to me, not to you guys, not to your spouse, not to your kids, not to your government. You're in charge. You get to choose whether you're happy today or not. You get to choose whether you laugh today or not. You get to choose whether somebody offends you or perturbs you or frustrates you. Don't let them. Mm -hmm. That's giving your power away. Power is for use. What you focus on expands. What you believe to be true is true for you. And you must appreciate where you are now, because where you're at later will be where you're at now then. Live in Satori. Well, that's probably a great place to, uh, to end and land this plane. Marshall, you are a gift to the world. So you're a gift to me and Chris. 
And uh, I want to point people in the right direction. If people want to find out more about you, do you have a place that we can send them via email or show notes that you would like for them to, to look you up or just Google? Yeah, you know, they can always check out. Um, they can always check me out, obviously, on Facebook, Marshall Silver, S-Y-L-V-E-R. Find me there. I, I like to tell the truth. And, and obviously, one of the things I respect about both of you, and I see more of your material at this point, Taylor, than I have of yours, Chris. I love the fact that you guys, uh, you know, having an opinion will get you attacked. Have an opinion anyway. You know, state your truth. And if people don't like you or don't want to hang out with you, because you're being authentic, then so be it. Then they shouldn't anyway. Uh, the other piece, though, is that they can also go to silver, S-Y-L-V-E-R.com or prosperityalliance.com. They can check out what we're doing. Um, I've got a special gift. I'm going to give a digital download to the folks that send an email to Lance, L-A-N-C-E, at certaintyinc.com, certaintyinc.com. I'm going to send a uh, digital download of a very special subconscious reprogramming gift uh, called What Would a Millionaire Do? So that it can start helping people reprogram their brains with the thoughts of a multimillionaire so they'll view the world as a use the world to produce similar results in their own lives. We sell it for 500 bucks. It is my gift to the viewers of your program. My way of saying, Taylor, Chris, you guys, your team, you're loved. And again, you know, a lot of times men won't say that to each other. You are loved. You are worthy of an amazing life. You're worthy of all the awesome prosperity you have created. You are a gift to the planet and the world is a better place because of what you two do. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, and likewise, Brian, make sure we get that down and we'll put it in the show notes. Everyone, uh, tune it in, send that email and get that gift. And, uh, I have a feeling that there's potentially some more that you'll see from Marshall and the gang, potentially with TF, potentially with some TNN. Uh, we'll get it going and we'll lock them down for you. Thank you so much, Marshall, for being on here. Appreciate you. Take care, guys. Thanks, Peace. Thanks for listening. For more from Chris and Taylor, visit trafficandfunnels.com and get a free gift just for being a subscriber. That's trafficandfunnels.com.